Okay. So, last week, and for those who are new or first time here, we're uh, going through the book Living Naked by Jeff Bogue. Um, this was something that Andy and Paulette had shared a little bit about back in July, I think it was. Um, and so we've taken it on and are kind of working our way through the book. Um, last week we talked about Adam and Eve and how they had a perfect connection with God on a mental, emotional, and spiritual level. Their uh, their sin changed their connection with God forever and changed our ability to uh, connect with God forever. We discussed three things we use to protect ourselves from exposure, ego, self-sufficiency, and false humility. Uh, All of this was based on the scripture passage from 2 Peter. Actually, we closed with this passage from 2 Peter 1.3, which says that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. So basically, even though we don't necessarily always behave correctly, we have the resources to learn to behave correctly. And the Lord has given us that power to do that. Um, does any, did anybody have any uh, new experiences or um, things that they saw differently this past week after hearing what we talked about last week and reflecting on Adam and Eve? and how good they had it initially, and then how challenging they had it after sin entered the world. Anybody? Guess not. Yeah, actually, David, it's related, but it's not related. Okay. Um, we got a, another teaching on Saturday, and we talked about God being the Olympic God, mm-hmm. and we know how the fall happened through a woman. Um, what was really interesting is oftentimes God, Jesus, will recreate a scene of like where there was fallenness, okay? Uh, like when Peter was at the fire, the campfire, and he denied Christ. Mm-hmm. And then the fire at the beach, um, when he was resurrected, it's kind of like that fire, that wood, that word there. What The wood was, that type of fire was not unique to that area. It was referring to the fire, and that's where Peter then said, I love you, you know, be, do you love me, be my sheep? Um, well, the revelation was that when Jesus resurrected, the first person that he came to and showed himself to was a woman. Yeah, it was Mary, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That it was a woman, again, redeeming, you know, so when we recognize the redemption of Christ, I think it's easier for us to live naked. Yeah, I would say so. Um, to one of, we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but in that same vein, um, I think when you really get to understand God and what he went through in sending his son to die for all of us, for all of our sins, at least for me, when I kind of get my head wrapped around that, from a father-son perspective, um, all of a sudden it's a lot easier to live naked before God, to expose myself, and to not hide or not attempt to hide areas of my life that I'm ashamed of or that I'm not proud of. Even though he knows them, um, 
doesn't always stop me from still trying to hide things that I've done or things that I'm not proud of. Um, Jeff in the book goes through, at the end of the book, he comes up with seven things that he believes lead to an extraordinary life. And they're all framed around the idea of living naked before our, our spouse, before our fellow Christians, and before God. Um, and so we've kind of covered the initial uh, couple chapters and the concept of living naked and what it's about uh, and why this, uh, where this concept came from. So now we're going to start talking about these seven, these seven areas. Um, go ahead. So the first is rejoice at his success, which is based on John 3.30. He must become great, I must become less. The context of this is John the Baptist when he was talking about how he felt about his followers leaving him and following Jesus and how he felt about that. His reply was, he must become greater and I must become less. John the Baptist was not concerned about his own emotions, ministry, or business. He simply wanted Jesus to thrive and, su and succeed at what he did. That is the idea of putting God first in your life. Get out of the way so people can see Jesus through me. By doing this, you unleash God's power in your life. Hopefully it will help you to discover a new way of thinking and living. The goal is to get to a place where you can become more real, more authentic, feel more accepted, and be the reflection of your creator that you were intended to be. Yeah. Any thoughts? All right. The second thing that we already kind of talked about a little bit was to give up our lives. And this is based on Luke 9, 23 through 24. Uh, then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And we talked about this again last week a little bit um, in the concept of dying to self and not putting our selfish motives first and putting his motives ahead of us. Um, when we actually give up our lives by putting aside our self-centered ambitions, as a result, we open ourselves to God's intention for the true life that we were meant to have. Part of giving up lives is giving up control. Um, many of us have the need to control things, um, to say, you know, I want to do it my way, um, or just to know all aspects of things. Um, one of the one another word for control that Jeff uses in the book a lot is the idea of self-sufficiency. It's the idea that, you know, the phrase you hear today a lot is, oh, I got this, or oh, you got this. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but in doing that, you're putting you first instead. Really, it's Christ has got this, and we need to rely in that strength. Um, in the book, he, um, there's a character that he talks about, and her name is Teresa. And we're just going to read you her testimony because I think it really kind of sums this up. Okay, so it says, uh, feeling insecure, I tried to control everything and everyone, but that gave me a false sense of security and made the people around me feel miserable. Rather than make my marriage and husband my top priority, I made the children the top priority. Sensing a lack of approval from my husband, I became misefficiency. I had a place for everything, and I put everything and everybody in its place, hoping to find approval. But my controlling spirit only made it harder for people to approve of me. I also needed attention in a twisted sort of way. 
I got my husband's attention by nagging him and presenting ultimatums. When he did not respond the way I wanted, I tended to become even more critical and negative toward him. Not a pretty picture, is it? I was fast becoming a, cri a critical, negative, controlling person, living a self-sufficient life and needing no one. But the world I created was a world of hurt. My selfish, self-defeating attitudes and actions shut the people I loved out of my life. The love I once had for my husband grew cold. I felt rejected, disconnected, and very alone. Can anybody relate to that? The need to control things? Might be a smaller person to ask you. Yeah, okay. Is anybody comfortable not being in control? Yeah, what's that silly uh, country song? Jesus, take the wheel. Um, you know, the idea behind that in this context would be Jesus, take control. Are we okay with that? I know I like to drive, right? Because I don't ever let you drive. No. Why don't you let me drive? I don't know. I feel like I'm... Protecting. Yeah, I feel like I'm protecting when I'm at the wheel because I'm so much of a better driver. Who's had more tickets? Accident. Yeah, that would be me. Yeah. So, Elaine. yeah, Elaine. I have this saying I say to myself when I'm praying and asking God for something, and then I say, Lord, if you have something better in mind, counsel my request. That's a neat, that's a neat idea. He's counseled a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really mean that one, but... <laughs> yeah, right? I wasn't prepared for you to cancel that request. Uh, Jean? The thing that, that helps remind me, you know, I hear a lot in Christian circles, you've got to give God control. And the truth of the matter is, he's got control. <laughs> right. He's got it. Giving him something. We don't, yeah. Exactly. Giving him something that he already, already has. has. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and, and I think that helps me to um, live, live and kind of survive through the situations that I wind up being pretty lost in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like, okay, Lord, I, I know that you don't want me to quit my job, but I have no control here. So I know that you're in control. So whatever it is that I experience on a day by day, I know that you are in control. So help me learn or help me show, you know, whatever I need to. You know, so just remembering for me that God already has the control. I'm just giving up the facade that I have some. <laughs> well, and I think that's in the whole idea of living naked. That's. A big, a big piece of it. How much control do we really have? Not much, honestly, if we really, really get down to it. And, you know, why do we put clothes on to hide, hide things from God? Well, he already knows them anyways. Why do we try and hide things from our spouses or mm -hmm. from our friends? When if they're really close to us, they already know we tilt this way or we already, they already know we have this bad habit. But we still go through the process, putting on those clothes, putting on the makeup, whatever it is that we hide behind, we still go through that process. It doesn't always stop what we're doing, and that's part of, um, part of what we're talking about is the idea of 
getting to a point where you're content to say, okay, Lord, I'm naked. Here's all my baggage. Here's all my stuff. If you have a better plan, I'm willing to go down that road. Whatever that better plan may be. Even if, like you said, I wasn't really prepared to go that direction, Lord. David, I'm sorry. I'm going to bring one more thing up. I've been reading, um, there's a guy, Vic, I'm not even going to begin to pronounce his last name, but he literally was born without arms and without legs. He has one little kind of stub of a foot kind of to his torso. And um, he's actually an international motivational speaker. I think I know who you're talking about. And, and he's met with higher-ups in all these different countries and everything. But the, the book that I'm reading about his life right now is talking about um, the courtship that he had with the woman he's currently married with. Um, and, and in there, you know, the family sat down. Um, and, of course, it's very obvious he has different abilities. Here's a guy who literally can't feed himself unless he face plants in the bowl and, and laps it up like a dog, which he does at times, you know. Um, but he has to be fed. He has to, he can't yeah. do, can't do what normal people do. So it's obvious what his issues are, um, you know, for his, his future wife, you know. But even in that, it's like, he has to be fully, he had to fully disclose himself. You know, what were his bathroom habits like? What was his, how did he brush his teeth? How does he eat? What's his, you know, to his future wife so that she really knew what she was getting into. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, you think you know, but you don't know until you live it daily. And I know one of the things that he wrote he struggled with is, I don't want her to be my caretaker. I want her to be my wife. So how do we balance? And I think this concept of living naked a lot of times is like that. I don't want other people to feel sorry for me. I don't want people to, to have to take care of me. I don't want, um, if, if they really knew then, yeah. type thing um, then they really then they won't marry me they won't want to be in relationship with me they'll put and I think for me that's the hardest part of and why I keep control over those things does that make sense yeah I think it, in the idea of I remember what it was like when we got married and I had an idea of what it would be like to live with Anne as my wife some of those turned out to be true. Some of them didn't. Um, and there was no way that at that particular time that any could have, anybody could have sat me down and said, all right, Dave, this is what it's really going to be like. Because I probably wouldn't have listened to him. I was, I was in love and all. We were getting married. It was going to be great. Um, but the reality and the practice of that was very different. It wasn't... It wasn't all wasn't roses. Always, it wasn't all roses, <laughs> and it wasn't all easy, and I wasn't all that great to get along with all the time. Um, she wasn't perfect, and I was far from it. So, how do we? How do we? How do we do that? Um, 
We were created to be needed by other people. And just like in the testimony of Teresa, she was trying to control everything so that she could feel a certain way. And all she ended up doing was alienating herself from everybody. Uh, Romans 12, 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Teresa's problem was that she wanted people... Sorry, let me read that again. Teresa's problem was that she wanted people to feel like they needed her, but she no longer wanted to return the favor. So it's that self-sufficiency. It's, I want you to need me, but I got this when times get tough. Doesn't, it's not a, it's a two-way street. It has to go both ways. You can't always, it doesn't only flow one direction. Um, how many of us want to be dependable, or de- how many of us want to be depended upon and counted on while at the same time not willing to rely on others in our times of need? Does that ring a bell for anybody? And how much of those attitudes fit into our relationships with our spouse, with our parents, our kids? No, Dad, I got it. I don't need your help. When in reality, his 56 years of life could have saved me a little bit of grief if I'd listened to some of the things he said. I I remember when we were getting redoing our lawn and stuff in the front backyard it was a broken sprinkler head and so i'm out there digging and my son was sitting on a chair and i'm thinking to myself when i was his age and my stepdad was my age i wouldn't let him be digging that hole i'd be digging you know give me the shovel i'll take care of it within 15 seconds my son says, Dad, would you like me to do that for you? What do you think I said? I got it. No, I got, I said, it. I got it. And then 15 seconds later, I thought to myself, you're an idiot. I got up and I gave him the shovel. But it's, that, it's, that, it's almost that natural response of, yeah. I got it and I don't need your help. Well, our culture teaches us, be self-reliant, right? You, do, you don't need anybody. You got this. I think like in my like in my experience, uh, like uh, I want to be the person that people can rely on. But like I felt maybe people haven't said it directly, but I felt like you know when I needed help, like they didn't want to do it. So then it's you know you just want to be more independent because it's like it's it's almost like you don't want to get rejected. So you know what I mean? Like you take it on yourself and then you know. Yeah. But I'm bringing up so it's it's that fear of rejection. Yeah. It's that it's the fear of what you believe their response will be without ever giving them a chance to respond. Um, you know, it's interesting. We had a situation where we were involved with some friends uh, in a piece of in a rental property, and I was doing ninety five percent of the management. wasn't getting paid for it. I was fine with it. It was a no big deal. Um, got into some situations where I really needed some help. And I was talking to everybody. Nobody stepped up. 
Nobody volunteered. Nobody said anything. They were totally content with me working over there till two in the morning, every night, plus doing my other job during the day. And I found myself really, really angry, angry and upset because they weren't taking the hint. I never once did I come out and say, hey, I really need some help. I can't do this alone. Not once did I say those words. But I felt like I was telling everybody what was going on and nobody was feeding my need for help. But that same night, do you remember what happened? I do. Go ahead. So all the people that were invested with us couldn't be bothered for whatever reason, right? And I was driving to Home Depot before they closed at 10 o'clock because we had tenants moving in the next morning. We had, what, plumbing to do, flooring to do, a bunch of things. And so I called one of my really good friends. And I said, you know, I'm not asking you to do anything. They weren't involved in the property. I wasn't asking them to do anything. And I said, you know, I just need prayer. And I, it still brings me to tears to even think about this. And, uh, and she's like, yeah, you got it. We prayed. I went to Home Depot, bought the last of the things before they closed. And on my way back from Home Depot, I got a call from David. What did you do? I said, what do you mean, what did I do? Nat and his buddy are on their way over here right now to help me. And I said, I, all I did was ask Lisa for prayer. I did not ask for anybody to come help you. And uh, he's like, well, they're on their way over. They stayed all night with him. I mean, that's God having the control of the situation. And there's no way I would have been. There's no way. <laughs> but they stayed I think all night I left with at us. six that morning, and she moved in at eight. And they had, they had no vested interest in the property or what we were doing there. But they showed their love to us and allowed, and allowed us to depend on them. And like I said, to this day, it still brings tears because that was an emotional time for us. Yeah. That was the end of ourselves. And fortunately, she was mature enough to call a friend and say, hey, we need some help. We need some prayer. She was willing to be naked with that friend and say, look, we're in a bad way. Now, but to her point about rejection, we were feeling that from the people that we really felt should have been invested with us in this whole thing. I, we would have thought they're going to be right there to help us. Well, they all said that one time for good. Oh, you say the word, we'll be there. But as soon as it was time? I said the word, I thought. Nobody showed. Nobody could do it. But God still provided another way. Yeah. Even in that time of the rejection. Jen. Uh. You know, that's true with the whole rejection mm -hmm. instance. Because I remember when my mom first got sick, and I had to take responsibility of not only myself and schoolwork and work, and I had to take her bills, her legal stuff, her take, you know, her caretaking. I remember my dad, he's never home. He's gone up to Florida seven days or six, seven days a week. And he wondered why I was so upset. So I broke down and said, I can't do all this. I'm 24 years old. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. And I remember he looked at me and said, poor little Jeff. It's all about you. And he walked out. And after that, I never asked yeah. a soul for help because I didn't want to feel like I couldn't do it. But that ended up in massive burnout. So 
I learned my lesson, but it is like when you get rejected that first time, it's just what's the point. Mm -hmm. And did you find that others stepped in and? Yes, even when I was like, no, I totally have this. I'm, you know, yeah. sometimes they have to be pretty forceful with me and pretty much leave me out the door. <laughs> well, it's what we do. Those, those, those clothes that we put on to protect ourselves. Pretty soon they're a wall. It's not just a jacket or a sweatshirt that we put on to protect ourselves. Now it's a brick wall that somebody has to climb or break through to get our help or the Lord has to knock down. Christianity becomes an exercise in my human effort to do Christian things. We can look Christian, but are we really living it out? We are essentially living out First Second uh, Timothy 3.5 having a form of godliness, but denying its power. That was really, that was really hard to read as I'm going through this stuff. How many times do I put on my Christian jacket, my Christian pants and shoes and go to church, tell everybody I'm great, and then on Monday I'm falling apart again. I'm not able to do it. And I'm turning to nobody, and I'm not allowing God in my life, and I'm not, I'm not, well, this isn't a Bible per se, but it has my Bible in it. I'm not <clears throat> turning to God and living out my Christian life. When things get ugly between the two of us, my solution was to jump in the car and go for a drive however fast and however far I needed to go till I could calm down. 120 on 680, no big deal. At three in the morning, it's easy. There's no one out there. First time I'm hearing about this. <laughs> <laughs> Only did it once. Um, but I left. And she was left to wonder, is he going to make it back? Is he coming home? all that stuff. I was having a form of godliness, but I was denying its power in my life. Go ahead. So you think another aspect that we do with that, I've seen it in a lot of couples and myself at times as well, feeling like I've got more of a God suit on, that, you know, well, God's working on me, but I hold the other people in my life kind of up to a different standard. You know, I, I, I know that God's um, working, you know, on me. Um, and, um, but God's not working on them. They're, you know, mm. God's taking okay. too long on them, you know. It, it, so I've got my <laughs> godliness. God's, God's working on this. God's changing this about me. You know, God's, you know, uh, what's taking them so long? I've, I've got it down. You should get it better. Um, you know, it's, it's a judgment, you know, which is not really godliness. But um, but I think my godliness looks like that sometimes. My God suit. Does that make sense? Yeah. So just another way to have the control. It's limiting God. Mm-hmm. You know, God works in me, but God can't work in them. 
Well, and it's it's saying it's all about you still. Isn't it? No. No, I don't think so. Well, and how many of us, you know, we come to church and it's like, yeah, this is good, this is good, this is good, then Monday morning hits and the world hits. And we forget what we've just been taught on Sunday. It's easy to do. We're surrounded by it. Yeah, read that part. Or we listen to someone else. So, like, we may say, oh, God, my husband, he needed to be here to hear this, or my brother should have heard this, you know, but we're not even listening for ourselves, and we're so <laughs> busy worrying about what somebody else needed to hear that we missed out on what we're supposed to hear. Yeah. That's the word what did you used to ministry. call it the elbow ministry. <laughs> yeah. Hey, pay attention. They're talking to you. You know, even when they're not there, even. You know, we're listening for them. So have you ever met someone that was truly an authentic Christian? What did that look like? I don't say authentic, but I remember there was this older lady that worked with me and she would come to work every day and have the same demeanor. She didn't, it was, I'd never seen her really angry, you know, she was always good morning and everything. And one day I was going through something and we went to lunch and she shared with me what was going on in her marriage. And I couldn't believe that she was going through so much and could come to work every day mm -hmm. and, and have just the same, her character was consistent. And I couldn't, she was just saying, that's because I'm trusting God with it, you know? I wouldn't say she's perfect or authentic, but it demonstrated to me that, wow, that's what it looks like when you truly give the situations over to God mm -hmm. and let it go and walk in his peace. Mm -hmm. Think about the things that we trust in. I trust that when I sit in that chair, it's going to hold me up. Why? Because more often than not, when I sit in that chair, it holds me up. If we don't begin to trust God, then he's never going to hold us up. And we're it, and it's a snowball. It gets worse and worse and worse. And you can't trust him for the big things. If you can't trust him for the little stuff, that he designed that chair in such a way, he showed somebody, what was it? Have any of you ever seen the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson? The beginning of the movie shows him in his shop and he's making this rocking chair. And it looks really cool. It's all handmade, you know, the way they did it back in colonial days. He got the chair all sit down, and he sits down, and the chair crumbles. And he gets all mad, and picks the chair up, and throws it into a corner. And the camera pans to the corner, and you see 500 chairs all smashed up that he built wrong that didn't hold him up. Somewhere along the way, somebody figured out you build the rocking chair with just these dimensions and with just these angles and proportions, it will always hold you up. The Lord is kind of the same way. You get naked with the Lord and you trust him. He'll hold you up. It's not easy. But it will. he will hold you up. Last week, Paul mentioned a guy... Uh, it was a greeter at a church that we actually used to attend with him. And he could tell that when you talked to him, he truly cared what the answer was that Paul said. And Paul came into the church, and, and Chuck is his name, if I remember correctly, would say, hey, Paul, how you doing? Good morning. He knew that when Paul answered him, 
Chuck really cared. It was in his eyes, it was in his facial expression, it was how we related to him. If we want an honest response from people, we have to be willing to accept their honest response. So what kind of things keep us from being authentic, authentic, or real? The hurts, yeah. Mm-hmm. We build the wall, nobody can hurt us. Busyness of life, just not slowing down enough to, what's that saying? Um, slow down and smell the roses, whatever that, however that goes, you know. Um, our own selfish motives, our own selfish agenda, the things that are only important to us, what I'm doing, I'm not interested in whatever the other person's doing. I don't know if you heard. Um, I did not. Not, no. knowing who we are, not knowing who we are. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. Or who we sometimes. think we want to be, trying to be somebody we're not, kind of thing. Well, sometimes I think we hide behind our roles. You know, I'm a mother, I'm a teacher, I'm, a, you know, I'm Ron's wife. Um, and I hide behind those roles and what I think that, that, that the expectations are of that role. And therefore, I kind of hide who I am because I'm too busy being what everyone else wants me to be. Or we allow those roles to define us. Exactly. Yeah. The thing that just came to my mind is how often do we say, do we identify ourselves as God's child? First. First. Say I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a this, I'm a... Yeah. I work here, I do this. Yeah. From a, from a guy's perspective, you introduce, you meet somebody new. Hey, I'm Dave. The first, second thing out of your mouth is, oh, I do this. Whatever it is your job is. Well, does that... Is that all you are? You're a mechanic, you're a park ranger, you're whatever. Is that all you are? It's not all I want to be. I take that into a, into a, a real world environment. You know, when I go to my son's school, I'm known as Nicole's mom. When I introduce myself, I generally will say, "Hi, I'm Nicole's mom." <laughs> you know? But <clears throat> you're right. I'm God's daughter first. But if I were to walk up to someone and that's cool. Nobody knows me and say, "Hi, I'm Liz, God's daughter, and Liz's mom." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, but who do we say we are? When the first thing, when you wake up in the morning and you're getting ready for the day, you say, "Oh, I'm going to work. I'm a this." No, I'm God's daughter first, and that should be the first thing I think of in the morning. And I can tell you, it's not the first thing I think of. It's more important for us to behave like God's daughter than to say we're God's daughter. Because once we say we're God's daughter or God's son, then people begin to watch you. You'll say, oh, I thought you said you were God's daughter, and you just blew me off, or you just did all these things. So now magnifying is on you. 
because yeah. once you say that, you're going to have to live up. In some people's eyes, they want you to live up to that. Oh, Especially yeah. Totally. Yeah. Not easy. Not easy at all. But even living up to that, we're still talking about our doing and not our being. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm God's daughter, which means I can never get angry. Well, Jesus got angry. Right. right. But his was a righteous anger. You know, is my anger a righteous anger? Or is my anger a self-centered anger? So how do you respond to people? Because that's what I'm struggling with. It's on my job and introducing people to Christ. And when, when you're dealing with the unsaved or babes in Christ, they don't understand that. That is always, you know, a challenge for us as Christians. But sometimes they want us to be perfect, you know. Um, so how do you explain to them, you know, I have struggles too and challenges too without causing them to stumble, if that makes sense. I don't know because it's something I struggle with too. Um, for those who don't know, I work in the park recreation industry and most of the guys I work with are all construction people. And it can be a really, really um, negative, heathen, sinful environment. Um, and at the same time, I still am called to live differently. Um, that doesn't mean I don't lose my temper. That doesn't mean I don't lose my cool. But as a general rule, my character, who I am, is not defined by those slip-ups. It's defined by being somebody different. I'm not the guy, if, there's, if I walk up on a group of people and they're telling the crude joke, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to hang out with those guys. Um, and they'll see that. Um, I, I think in some ways, though, because when we talk about this, what I've been hearing is we're defining our sonship or daughtership by how we act, as opposed to who God is. And I think oftentimes, and we get so focused on how we act. And guess what's going to put the mask on first? Because we know we, at some level, we all fall short. So therefore, we're going to put on a mask, and that's not living naked. <coughs> the key is, in daughtership or sonship, do we walk in the fullness of the grace, which is the empowerment of God, and the privileges and the power that God has poured into us? And I think that's probably, you know, if, if I go up to somebody at work and, and say, you know, I'm, I'm God's son, they could be looking for how I behave to try and catch me as a hypocrite. But I don't have to declare it. I should, but that should be my primary focus is, I'm God's son, and I can walk in the power that he has poured into me, which means to alleviate control, to give up control, to do this and do this. Second Peter 1.3, you, you by his divine power, we have already been given everything we need. And then later in verse 5, it says, so make every effort. 
And, and you know, I've, I've been looking at that and, and I've been seeing it. So just simply choose. Because if we make the right choice, God's going to empower us to live out that right choice. And I think that where we come and we fall short is that we don't live in the fullness of his promises as his sons and as his daughters. We don't walk in the fullness of the privilege that he has given us. Because when we walk, miracles should be following us. Those signs should be following us where we go. And it, it's not about acting because that's going to put on masks. It's about just being his son, being his daughter, and understanding it, it's not about us. It's about him. And it's about him as our dad. And that way, that frees us up from having to behave in a particular way. Because if we can truly embrace that, then I think we're, we're able to step outside of those masks that we put on. It's just my thought. The other thing that occurred to me, thank you for sharing that, though, because listening to that and then thinking back to your original question, Lane, um, you know, the Bible tells us to put on the full armor of God. So even in what Jeff's talking about in the book of living naked, he's not expecting us to go out and just expose all of ourselves to everybody, and especially in a, in a work environment where you have people from all different uh, situations and walks of life. Um, I don't think that the Lord's asking us to go out and to um, wear our feelings or our, our hearts on our sleeve so that the world can knock it around. Um, I think that the living naked is, is something that's between you and the Lord. And then when you do get in the situations where you're with somebody in a private situation and you know they're a fellow believer then there's a bond there that you can then open up to. Um, you know, I was thinking of, uh, in listening to Ron, I was thinking of Matthew um, 6, 7. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Um, that whole idea of, you know, casting, uh, casting, casting what's good about you out before swine. I don't think that's what the Lord's asking us to do. I think he's asking us to do those kinds of things one-on-one -on -one with our spouses, with him, so that we're not, uh, so that we're being who he wants. And so that, uh, and, and <laughs> it's kind of leading into the next, next step, but <laughs> the idea that uh, when we're totally naked with him, then what he wants comes through us. And it's not us anymore. It's now him living through us. And then, like you're saying, then the world can see Christ. They don't see Dave. They see Jesus. Um, because Dave's a sinful man. So Dave has yielded and left himself on the cross. And now Christ is free to flow through me. I was actually wondering if I should say this, but what you just said kind of supported what I was thinking because like in my experience I remember like a long time ago when I'd be working I was like okay you know to tell everybody about Jesus and all this stuff but then it's like it kind of worked against me because like then people but if, if they're not oh, like I don't know like my experience is like if they're not ready to hear it you know they're gonna just pick your life apart and just the way you react and stuff and so um you know I just prayed that God would just you know shine through me and you know that that he would bring himself up in conversation when it's necessary and 
what's funny is at my old job, I worked in a little Tokyo and had a Japanese restaurant, and um, I don't think there were any other believers where I worked. And um, I genuinely went to church, but I, I like, it's not like I, I mean, I would sometimes talk about church or something, but it, like if it came up in conversation, but um, it's funny because like one of my coworkers would ask me questions, you know, out of, like she was definitely not a believer, but it's almost like she was trying to put me in like trying to trap me, and yeah. I'd just be like, well, I mean, I don't know, it's just, that's just what I believe, you know, whatever, and um, I mean, I wouldn't say like that, but I was just like, you know, I don't, like, I don't have all the answers, but, you know, this is just, I just, my faith has given me strength, you know, when I, you know, in hard times, and, but then it's funny, well, it's not funny, but, um, <laughs> after I left my job, sorry, I get nervous, I get flustered, but, um, when I left my, I had to leave my job, because I had to move home to the area, and my boss, his mom passed away not long after that, and one of my coworkers, um, she texted me and she asked me to pray for their family. And I was like, okay. So I just texted my boss to see if they were, if he was okay. And um, he's like, yeah, could you just pray for us? And I said, sure. You know, and it's just like, so they see, um, you know, people will know God's in your life. And like, you don't, I mean, I think that, I don't know, there was this quote that I heard and it, it's, I, I just thought it was amazing. It, um, I can't remember the name of the monk, but it's, it, um, he says, uh, preach the gospel at all times, but speak only when you must. Mm-hmm. So like, let yeah. your life be more of a testimony because mm-hmm. people can't argue with your life. They can't argue with what they see. Oh, and that's, that's kind of the same thing that we're talking about in the idea. And the story I heard, was, or the quote I heard was, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. And to Elaine's point, I think the way we live and how we live will carry more weight than what our mouth says. People, there you go. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, we still have time. Okay. So the third thing that Jeff talks about is we must focus on what God, what makes God happy. And this is based on 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all. And those that live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So what he's talking about here again is the idea of giving up our self-centered lives uh, in dying to that old life that we used to live. Um, how many of us get excited with the idea of pleasing God versus pleasing ourselves? Or finding joy in what the Lord finds joy in, rather than what I find joy in? Theoretically, they kind of should be the same. Right, but they're not because I'm I'm a selfish, sinful man. So I get upset when the Niners lose, like they continue to lose. Um, I get upset when whatever I'm watching doesn't go my way. When somebody cuts you off. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what about when, like today? 
up in service, they're baptizing people. How many people found real joy in watching those people make that profession of faith? Well, if we're doing it out of our sinful nature and doing it in our own way. Or no, like, let's just say God says, okay, I want you to teach this Bible study or whatever it is. And you really don't want to do it, but you know that's what God wants you to do, so you're doing it. But it's not really from the heart, but you just feel convicted and obligated to do it. Yeah, but I would, no, I I get that. Um, And I've... For not going to read it, would I haven't been in that situation, but I've seen people in that situation. And what's interesting is that God still uses that and still uses them. And at some point, at least in the situations I've been in, that switches roles. If they're truly begrudgingly being submissive to what the Lord wants, all right, Lord, uh, kind of the the Jonah thing, you know, I'm not going there, so I'm going this way. Well, now I've been swallowed by a fish who took me back there. All right, Lord, I'm here. I don't want to be here, but I'm here. And pretty soon, if they're really being open to the Lord, their whole, everything changes. Um, and they change in the process. Chris? You know, some, sometimes... Some, something that I always try to tell people when I'm, when I'm talking to them about, about like God's voice, because some people hear God's voice and some people don't, and some people don't know that they hear it even though they do. And something that, that always pops in my head is, is that, is that I, I try to encourage people that if, if you hear a voice in your head and it's not telling you to do something bad, it's telling you to do something that's good, but whether you want to do it or not, you try to listen to that because it's telling you to do something good. That's that's God speaking to you. It is something if you're not being told to do something bad, you're being told to do something that, that overall do, but you don't want to do it. Doing it, even when you don't want to do it, is training yourself. It's training yourself to go down that path that He wants you to go down. Because there's there's going to be times that He's going to ask you to do things, and you don't want to do them. It's going to be a lot of times. There'd be a lot of situations getting up in front of a group of people when you are not comfortable getting up in front of a group of people, you know, or you know, other other situations like that. But I try to tell people, you know, that that those are the voices that you are supposed to listen to. So even if it even if it does make you unhappy, when you go through and you do it and you're done, then you're able to look back on it, you learn from it, you know, maybe you can make adjustments to it, you know, but. Those are the things that kind of helps you to get through those those hurdles. Whereas if you don't do it, if you don't do those, that even when they, they make you a little bit unhappy to do it or scared, you don't do it. After a while, you won't hear the voice. You won't hear him talking to you because you'll be ignoring it. And then maybe he won't be speaking to you. Yeah, I. We're not going to go into the whole how you can tell when the Lord's speaking to you versus not because that's a whole bigger subject than. I know enough about to get into, <laughs> um, but at the same idea, but this, this, it goes in line kind of with what we're talking about in the idea of finding joy in what the Lord finds joy in, and 
So the thought is, when we get more excited with pleasing God than pleasing ourselves, that's when we start to experience true happiness. Because God knows what we were created to be and to do better than we do. Basically, when we focus on His will instead of ours, we begin to rise to the level of extraordinary living. So... Yeah. Okay. So what makes us significant? We're chosen by God. Okay, the fact that we were chosen by God. Okay, with the words of God's child. What about other things like our job? Family? Kids? That where we tend to find our significance is in our accomplishments, rather than just in the fact that we were chosen by God. How often do we focus more on what we can see or touch, our family or our work? How many of us choose that to to make our significance instead of, like she said, just who we are in Christ? God thought we were so significant that he sent his only son to die for us. We weren't even here yet. And he thought that we were important enough and significant enough to watch his only son die a miserable death. Just a second. And I know for me, because uh, when God was speaking to me about doing a small group, and I was resistant to do it, to realize that the whole purpose of him having to do it, it wasn't just to try to bless others. It was so much that I needed to learn from that. And I'm still learning from Jonah because like Jean was saying is that I'm still having these feelings of, well, Lord, how many times do I have to tell this person? You know, I got it. When are they going to get it? You know, and and that's what he was teaching me the whole time in this lesson, no matter how much everybody else was coming and being blessed. But I was a living, walking testimony of that whole lesson because I was struggling through the whole process, you know, of having these feelings with someone because I felt like it's been 15 years. You know, how much more do I have to say, you know? And <laughs> so it's just been a blessing for me. So that was significant for me to to be obedient, to do it, and then to realize this was for you. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was you weren't doing it for them. He was trying to teach you, you something. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> here's a little secret for all those out there, and I think Ron and Gene will back this up. Um, when we're up here teaching this stuff, usually it's because he's pounding it into us too. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how, I know how, but I don't know why it works this way, but it seems like the stuff that the Lord lays on our hearts to teach is the stuff that he's trying to beat into our head, and it's not working, so now we have to go teach it to somebody else, (laughs) to study it it even more, and to figure it out, and to really get a hold on things. I don't remember who told me something, told me this, but if you want to learn how to do something, go teach it to somebody else. Because they will ask questions and things that you hadn't thought of, and then you'll be able to really truly learn how to do whatever it is you were trying to teach. Um, 
You know, that's right. And that's what I admire about you guys, just about Ron and Dean and, and Leona and Joe, is because of that, it becomes real. Because anyone can get up there and teach and read from a PowerPoint or a lesson plan, but when it's in here, it flows out to everybody else and it becomes real because I like to hear people who are real and transparent, yeah. you know, about this is my struggle too. And before I gave it to you, God hammered it into me, you know, and it comes out that way. And, and I admire and I enjoy that. Thank you. Guys it's, um, it's, it, it's not because we got it. I'll tell you that. Um, more often than not, it's because we're still getting it. And it's something that, um, I'll speak for myself and not for you, but um, it's certainly something that I struggle with. Finding my joy in the things that make God, that makes God happy is difficult. I would so much rather go out and build a hot rod and find my joy in that stupid car than be submissive and do what the Lord is telling me to do. Well, yeah, that too. Yeah, I might actually have the money to do it if I didn't pay the dime. <laughs> Just kidding, that's not true. Uh, or shop um, Yeah, right? Um, so we're going we're gonna to stop here, but the thing that I want to leave you guys with is this idea that God thought we were significant enough to send his son to die for us. We all long to be valued and appreciated. We all want our lives to matter and count for something. And the Lord is already telling us, you matter and count so much that I let my only son come and die for your behalf so that you might have a path back to me. On that note, I'm done. So think about that and think about how that changes what you do every day. Um, Ron, do you mind closing us in prayer? Because one of the things David talked about was what does God find joy in? How many of you can look at yourself and say honestly, God finds joy in you? Or do you see all the crap, for lack of a better word? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for me and put your hands on your heart. And I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Father God, Father God, Dad, Dad, help me, help me to see myself, see myself the way you see, the way you see me. Help me to see, help me to see that you find pleasure, that you find pleasure in me, in me. You're not looking at my faults. You're not looking at my faults. You're looking at me. You're looking at me through the cross. Through the cross. Help me to see. Help me to see. 
the value that you see in me. The value that you see in me. And help me to see. And help me to see. The value that you see. The value that you see. In others. In others. This coming week. This coming week. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.